you know, there are approximately 7 billion people in the world, and half those that are working make less than $2 a day. So when you think about a global economy, we have the option of either competing by wages and seeing our, our standard of living go down, or we can compete, can compete through innovation and efficiency. And that's what really TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, is about. And we have uh, outstanding individuals here to bring us up to speed on where that is, starting with um, uh, Congressman Bastani from Louisiana. Uh, you know, I served for many years with Billy Tozen, both as a Democrat and Republican, so it's hard to think about introducing somebody from Louisiana without telling a Boudreaux uh, story. Uh, but I can't do it like Billy, so I will save you that. Uh, uh, that, that, that option there. Uh, I think everybody already knows the congressman. They know that he's a well-respected member of the Energy and Commerce Committee. Reported to be, uh, excuse me, I, I'm going back to my roots here, of the, of the Ways and Means Committee. And uh, reportedly will be the next chairman of the uh, Trade Subcommittee. And what you may not know, though, is that he really, really does demonstrate, you know, the American dream. Uh, his, both of his grandparents came here from Lebanon. His father earned a, uh, a, a medical degree. Uh, he, his father and mother, raised uh, nine kids, can you believe that, uh, including uh, Dr. Pisani. Um, Louisiana, like Tennessee, is a sort of a small town uh, in that he's also uh, related to Teddy Kennedy's uh, widow, uh, Vicki, uh, as well as former congressman, governor, and congressional candidate, Edward Edwards. <laughs> His father was a, uh, a long-serving Democratic uh, official there in Louisiana, so it was probably a little bit of shock in the family when he became the first Republican to be elected to Congress from his region of Louisiana in over, over 100 years, but I'm sure his mother still loves him. And so we're glad that you're here uh, this morning, Congressman Stein. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. That's, uh, you did some homework there. And, uh, this, uh, this is great. Uh, thank you to the Franklin um, Foundation and Ripbond. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, and especially to share the stage with my, my friend and colleague, John Larson, who I really respect and, and like working with uh, tremendously, and Australia's very able and capable ambassador, Kim Beasley, who I've gotten to know as we've worked on TPP. So we'll have a good time with the Q&A coming up, and I look forward to their comments. The Trans-Pacific Partnership. It is so important uh, on many levels. First of all, it's a, it's a big trade agreement, especially now that Japan's part of it. Forty percent of the world's GDP, forty percent of U.S. trade or, or global trade. This is a big economic uh, package that comes at a time when we've had slow global growth. Uh, trade volumes have sort of been on the downside, and this is an opportunity to really rejuvenate the global trading system. Doha has really stalled out and the latest attempt with the trade facilitation agreement is, is uh, being blocked by India. This is our opportunity to come up with a 21st century high-level trade agreement that allows for Australia, the United States, and Japan to take a real leadership role in the economic uh, sphere internationally. It will set the stage for all future trade agreements, despite the difficulties we're going through right now with it. It sets the stage, and combined with TTIP, this this is uh, this is our main hope for rejuvenating the global trading system. 
but it's much more than a commercial agreement. This agreement also is a very strong signal to the reformers in China to move forward on economic reforms and opening. Uh, this is an opportunity, it dovetails very nicely with the reforms China is trying to put forward through its third plenum uh, actions. It basically is critical to U.S. security policy in the Asia-Pacific region, and it's a key piece to our foreign policy as we rebalance to Asia. For all those reasons, this agreement must get done. Now, why is it important to me beyond, you know, looking out for U.S. national interests, which I think I just outlined? It's important for Louisiana. Our top two trading partners are, are China, Japan. Number three is Mexico. Uh, we are increasingly expanding our trade opportunities into the Asia-Pacific region, uh, dealing with a number of commodities, agricultural and so forth, some manufactured products, and oil and gas, and the LNG export opportunity is very big uh, in Asia for us. The first two LNG export facilities that have gone through the DOE licensure and FERC approval and now are under construction are in my congressional district. And I have eight more to follow. So this is a huge opportunity for job growth and international engagement for people back home in Louisiana. And it helps, uh, I think the energy aspect of this is also important to our national security, building out a, uh, uh, a truly American view of energy security, which is open markets and diversified sources and helping our friends. So I think there's tremendous benefit for Louisiana, and also tremendous benefit for, uh, for small and mid-sized firms, which are basically the ones that do export in my home state. So setting those ground rules in place, having clear rules of the road, is what TPP will do. And so I think it's, a vital, it's vital that we get this done. Last thing I want to say, because I want to keep this brief so we can take a lot of questions, is we have to get trade promotion authority. If we don't get trade promotion authority, we will not get the strongest agreement Period. It's very clear to me. Our very able negotiators, Mike Froman and his team, I think are doing a good job. And I've, I've applauded the efforts. But we need the full force of the American government behind them. And that means Republican and Democratic support of trade promotion authority. That will send a very strong signal to our trading partners uh, in the Asia-Pacific region who are negotiating TPP, but also a very strong signal to our European partners as we this is critical, and that's why TPA, Trade Promotion Authority, is so important. The bill that came out that was agreed upon between Senate Finance and the Ways and Means Committee is a good bill. It covers all, all these issues. We have to get this done. It is the catalyst for action to moving not only this very ambitious trade agenda forward, but the key piece to our U.S. foreign policy. So thank you. It's great to be with you. I look forward to taking the questions. Jim is very, or he has a very precision type uh, programming. I was supposed to sit in the throne and I forgot to do that. So Jim, I will go back over there after this. Uh, next we have uh, Ambassador Beasley. I have not had the opportunity to meet him uh, until today. And so I do did what we all do. I went to Google. And uh, you wouldn't be here this morning at 745 if you weren't a political junkie. And so let me commend all of you to go to uh, Wikipedia 
it was it was like a political thriller to to read about the ambassador. His uh, father was a long-term member of the uh, the Labour Party uh, there in in, in, the, in in Parliament. His mother was a world-class athlete and, and record holder. Uh, he went to, Har uh, to, to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, uh, then became involved in, in politics, the longest-serving uh, Labour member in Australian history. But then it looked like he was a roller coaster operator. I mean, it was up and down and up and down, all with principal uh, stands, uh, and um, held more positions than we have time to talk about today. And in 2009, he was appointed ambassador to the United States. Uh, just recently, he got a got got uh, an extension for two more years, and clearly will be a major player not only in TPP but all activities between the United States and Australia. We're glad you could be here, Mr. Ambassador. Thanks, sir. I'm glad the roller coaster ended on an up. August building, so that's exciting. It's uh, it's terrific to be able to appear here with these two congressional colleagues, who I have for all of us who are part of the parliamentary Freemason globally, and I'm a member of that, at least uh, by my former status. The U.S. Congress is the best. U.S. Congress is the best thing to be part of in terms of prestige and the very worst thing to be a member of. For colleagues uh, like uh, my two colleagues here today, uh, to take an interest in these broader global issues is a real challenge. And we, I, I enormously appreciate the fact that they're prepared to set aside time from survival to looking at time for survival for all of us. It's been a great thing about American leadership since World War II, but it's nice when you actually see that personified, and you see it personified in these two. Look, uh, when I came here, the first thing, I, I appeared at a set of hearings before the, your International Trade Commission, my first public remarks in the United States were this. The health, happiness, strength, and prosperity of the American people is an Australian national interest. And because it is an Australian national interest, uh, I do feel that I've got some right uh, to talk a little bit about it. I mean, our, our situation at the moment, in this late phase of the negotiation of TPP, does revolve uh, very much around our concerns, in particular for Australian agriculture. But we also have substantial concerns for a really good outcome for the TPP. Uh, we do, our discussion does revolve around, intensely around agriculture, and you and we as huge agricultural surplus producers, I sometimes wonder why that is so. Because if you look at the population projections and demand projections in the region we're talking about here, neither of us are producing up to speed to be able to deal with the market opportunities that are going to arise 20 or 30 years out from now. We're not going to see our agricultural sectors constrained. We're going to see pressure on our agricultural sectors to produce more and to export more. So the barriers that are there are going to be meaningless barriers as, as time goes by. But I, this is, the way I'd advocate this here, and I'll, I'll do it very briefly because we'll have question times, this is the great opportunity for 
standard for class. This is the this is the one thing on the horizon that can generate serious opportunities for increase in the income of the American middle class. American middle class has taken the neck over the last 30 years. Objectively looking at it statistically, all those complaints about the, the, uh, the declining relativities for members of the American middle class are actually true. Uh, the American middle class has really taken a pounding. You can see that in the current fairly anemic growth rates in the United States because domestic consumption, despite your brilliant export record, domestic consumption has always been a great driver of the American economy. And it is not able to perform the role it once performed anymore because the consuming capacities of the American middle class have been, over time, seriously undermined. So what the United States middle class needs is the capacity to see wealth for its wonderful product and its services generated elsewhere. The Asia-Pacific region, where this agreement will set the rules, currently has 580 million members of the global middle class. That is 20% uh, of the global middle class. 15 years from now, that figure will be 3 billion and 60% of the global middle class. You either make the rules for that area and prosper, or you don't and fail. That's what the TPP is about, strategically for the United States. It's important in, in, uh, in broader strategic discussions, as, uh, as Charles pointed out, but it is also absolutely critical for wealth in the United States. This is a mini Bretton Woods moment. The United States is able to move a world dominated by imperial preference, uh, dominated essentially by mechanism, prior to World War II, lift it out of that and open the international trading system. Asia was part of the imperial preference system in those days, essentially excluded from uh, what we're talking about here. Now, it comes to the global economy as the dominant aspect of it without the rules. This is a rule-setting agreement. We will chew ourselves in, into little pieces over the next uh, two or three months, angry about what's happening to agriculture and uh, what's happening to manufacturing and the rest of it. The critical things have almost already been agreed. Intellectual property. Um, some constraint on the competitive arrangements of state-owned enterprises behind the uh, beh behind the boundary barriers to the uh, introduction of services. Because Americans are, you have a service-driven economy, they're all largely agreed, or very close to agreement. It is what they are what matters. They are what matters to the American middle class. They are agreed. They will determine right now. That if this agreement is signed where it stands at the moment, the United States middle class has a strong and effective future. We fail on this. The damage that will be done to their prospect future happiness will be untold. Ambassador had such a distinguished career in Australia, he can frame an issue and frame an issue uh, very well. 
And so finally, we have John Larson, another distinguished member of the Ways and Means Committee. John is also a former chairman of the Democratic Caucus. Um, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, John, but John is an institutional guy that even with a 7% approval rating of Congress, loves Congress and thinks that public service is an honorable calling. Uh, John served in a number of capacities in, in his home state of Connecticut, including several years as Speaker of Pro Tem. And I don't know anybody that really interacts with members, Democrats, Republicans, more than John, and anybody that's a better counter, or anybody that can really tell you where things are going. We ran into each other a couple evenings ago, and I, there's a, we have a, an internal delicate matter going on, and so I asked John, you know, what's going to happen, and very clearly, succinctly laid out the path forward. Um, listen to John. <laughs> Well, thank you, Mark, for that wonderful introduction, and it's uh, what an honor uh, to be here and be with my colleague, uh, Charlie Wiesman, who uh, everything you said about him in your introduction is true, and uh, he is highly regarded uh, both on the committee and uh, in the Congress. Now, <clears throat> with Charlie, was it something that you said that made Mike leave early, because uh, <laughs> Kelly is absent, but uh, Ambassador. I love the choix de vivre that you bring to It's terrific, terrific. I love that kind of energy, and I, and I agree with the sentiment uh, that was expressed uh, uh, both by uh, Charlie and uh, the ambassador. Uh, I agree, certainly, with how important uh, this is for our country. Uh, and uh, to the whole process of making sure that we have trade uh, that's transparent and open and works not only for the American people but the entire globe. And certainly I also agree that uh, uh, Ambassador Foman has done an outstanding job in trying to uh, bring this bring this home, and, and I come from a state that's a, a major export state. Uh, we, uh, our hallmark is uh, manufacturing in a small state like Connecticut, but uh, especially in the aerospace industry with United Technologies, with Hamilton Standard, with Sikorsky, with the pharmaceutical industry, uh, with the rise of all the biosciences, with Amgen, with General Electric, yeah, there's no question about the fact that we are an export state. And also, there is no question, as the ambassador points out, how important this is to the rise of the middle class. So, what's the rub? Why shouldn't we be going kumbaya and uh, on with passage? Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that this has become mired down uh, because of real uh, differences. Uh, most, the deepest differences, I think, stem emotionally. And it gets to what, directly what the ambassador was saying, uh, and that is that a number of Americans feel left out in this process. Uh, and it's interesting uh, to see in both political parties uh, the resistance that's taking place. Uh, 
you would expect and anticipate uh, resistance from the left and from labor uh, on the Democratic side. Uh, they are still smarting from NAFTA and CAFTA and do not see trade as benefiting the middle class. They see it in terms of the job losses and the emptied out factories that they're living in. And so they don't see this as a winner. And so we have to work all the harder. And Ambassador Foreman has been doing that. And the AFL-CIO has been brought in and all these discussions are taking place. And yet back in both respective chambers, both Harry Reid and Bob Wagan have said, it's not going to move forward this year. Not our own committee. Uh, several have signed the paper saying, no TPA for the president until we have better and firmer uh, discussions. So the prospects of this happening, this vital piece of legislation that needs to take happen and needs to take place are stalled. So what needs to take place? Well, this is what I call, you've got to give it the Augie and Ray's test. Now you've all heard of that, right? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Augie and Ray's test. Right, that's not fair. Right. Two former staffers. <laughs> well, Augie and Ray's happens to be a little uh, a breakfast shop in my hometown of uh, East Hartford. It's located right next to Pratt Whitney's aircraft. And they will give you the uh, unbridled truth. There is no filter on anyone in Hawaii and race. Political correctness would never enter their mind. And uh, here's what the discussion would go like at Hawaii and race. Hey, uh, Congressman, look, uh, this TPP thing. Can I make this clear to you? It's not about the TPP, it's about a J-O-B for me. <laughs> and uh, if you can cut through that, uh, that is, in truth, what the ambassador was talking about, is that the middle class of our country is uh, under enormous pressure, and uh, they're being squeezed from several different angles. And if you look at their wages uh, over the past 14 years, they're stagnant, while everything else around them has grown. So it becomes a very difficult argument to say, somehow, by the passing of the TPP, all things will change. And so it's that cynicism and that approach uh, that presents a daunting task uh, uh, for the committee and for the two bodies in general, and especially in the midst of a very uh, partisan midterm election. And so while I don't have hope that anything's going to happen between now and the midterms, uh, I do think that a lot of effort can be done and, uh, and we can make headway specifically by working on a, num a number of things that the ambassador has. I think it's a good thing for the committee to say to the president, look, we want more input. 151 Democrats wrote to the president and said, Mr. President, we want you more directly involved in TPP. We want to see more transparency 
We want to see what's in it for the middle class. We want to see, we want to know that these jobs won't be further exported. And in fact, in the TPP agreement, you see a lot of corrections to what took place in NAFTA and CAFTA. In fact, you see great opportunity. Unbelievable trading partners like Australia, Japan. Great opportunity for us and for us not to participate. Leaves a field, especially to the South. And I say the South because it's critical to us for foreign policy. We have not had a foreign policy, an effective trade policy, since John Kennedy said we should have an alliance for progress with Central and South America. And if we don't align for progress in Central and South America, then we are going to be watching the Chinese align themselves in those areas. We face difficult issues there currently. It's long overdue, but these are the kind of tasks that we have to be out. Finally, I'll end with this. When he said, when the person says it's about the JOB, that is true. But if a nation is at work, if a country is doing what it should be doing through rebuilding and investing in itself, Bill Schuster, another dear friend of mine, from this time and time again says, look at Infrastructure isn't Democrat or Republican, it's American. And when America is working, when America is going headlong in their job and their wages are up, their benefits are secure, they're able to look across the table at their spouse and know that they're providing for them and their security. And the guy at Augie says, what's TPP? And you're able to work on these issues because people are gainfully employed and they feel that their country is invested in them and not invested in just other countries' success. Thanks. our guests to come up and as you're doing that let me say John sounded like he also went to med school because he clearly has his finger on the pulse of the constituents and I think uh, summed up what's going on there well. So as they're coming up, um, let's, let we, I know people get itchy around nine so why don't we start with a couple of questions. Who wants to start us? Connie. Uh, I thought the commentary of the three of you was extraordinarily good. Really, you're right on target. But I noticed that we talk about American, Americans and don't know what TPP is. I saw a survey done in Australia which said only one out of 10 Australians know TPP. It's almost like it was purposely kept secretive. Uh, I don't know. But I mean, that's probably a concern we have in the United States, not only not knowing what TPP is, but when you hear about it, you don't get the information, real information. But uh, Your Excellency, you've got some meetings coming up on August 15th with Secretary Hagel and Secretary Kerry. Yep. And I, I would imagine that TPP will be part of it. And I just wondered what comments you might have about lack of education of people and knowledge of it. It, it probably is the same in the United States. And, and whether or not these meetings might help in some way. Well, thank you for the question. It's terrific. It, 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 any trade agreement in Australia probably does not have a very high level of recognition. In the 1980s, we unilaterally disarmed. 
We collapsed Australian trade barriers, we collapsed quotas. The then government of the day, which was a government that incorporated a large proportion of the union movement, decided that Australia had it. That we could not sustain ourselves on the basis of the size of the economy that Australia did, and for good or ill had, for good or ill, we had to float ourselves globally. So it, it doesn't have the same resonance uh, any particular agreement that we do inside Australian politics that it has here in the United States. So it, there, it, we need more knowledge of it. We need to understand the significance of what is being agreed here, and uh, and hopefully that when this is concluded, there'll be an educative campaign that will uh, will achieve that. So that, I think, is, is, is a major difference, really, between discussion in Australia and discussion here. It will figure in the so-called OSMIN meeting that will take place about two weeks from now. Uh, mainly, though, that will be a discussion about security issues. Um, we are uh, expanding our defence forces uh, in the region which we inhabit, and this is why another reason why the TPP is so important. It's the one part of the globe where there is an arms race going on, where there's insecurity, there's a whole range of issues out there. And they will probably be the prominent features of the discussion. Other questions? Yes, thank you. I know you're right here, but I'll try to be loud for everyone else. Uh, in the last few years, we've had some great bipartisan trade victories on some of the smaller bilateral trade agreements, but this is a big one, plus TPA is kind of a process uh, vote as much as anything. I want to get your predictions, or, or especially you, uh, Congressman Larson. Come January, midterms are over, President Obama's in his last two years. How high is TPP on his agenda, not Ambassador Froman's, we know it's very high on his, but how high do you think is on his agenda, and how hard do you think he'll push, and what will be the reaction within your conference, your caucus, uh, you know, from a, a group that hasn't necessarily wanted to support a lot of tr free trade agreements in the past. And then maybe for Bustani, do you still think that the Republicans, even though it's going to be a President Obama negotiated agreement and a lot of people want to sue him and impeach him, you know, do you, do you think that will affect the vote total on the Republican side because it's not a Bush agreement or a Clinton agreement, it's an Obama agreement? Well, let me start. I think that it is uh, very much a part of his legacy. I think that may be problematic for him because he wants this to be very much part of his uh, legacy. Uh, we have also suggested to the President that I thought for a number of the reasons you brought up as it relates to process and as it relates to explaining this to the American people that it would make uh, sense to start with the EU and uh, bring that forward first uh, because of the long-standing relationship, the similarity and, uh, uh, and concerns over wages, benefits, the environment, and this is a far easier matter to bring forward. But it would set up, uh, I believe, the opportunity and create the trust necessary within the Congress and within the respective uh, committees. So rather than leading with something that's been thorny tough, however essential, to do it that way. And I think that would provide an opportunity for uh, the members of my party and caucus and uh, the labor community to say, yeah, there can be deals that are constructed and here's the benefits of those deals and here's the issues that have become both transparent, uh, whether they be uh, workforce oriented 
whether they be environmental or human rights, uh, that have been addressed you know, with a partner that we have long-standing relationships with. And then I think we're able to move towards uh, TPT, TPP. So do TTIP first. What? You do TTIP first. You know, yeah. the European part. That's his recommendation. Yeah. That's my, that would be, okay. uh, there's a strong feeling on, on, the, uh, on our side. Uh, well, I should say strong, I say it's an opinion that Richie Neal and I share. <laughs> 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 uh, that uh, we should do that, uh, do that first. But we have a lot of work to do, you know, uh, in convincing uh, labor. You know, there is strong sentiment out there. And I dare say, on both sides of the aisle, and the populist wing of the Republican Party, I guess that's what we would call it today, uh, that uh, is, uh, you know, anti-XM Bank, anti-TRIA, anti-Chamber of Commerce, uh, doesn't bode well for these, these decisions, you know, being made. So on both sides, you see this splitting. Well, I think it's around a sense of uh, trust uh, as to whether or not these deals, these big trade deals, can be constructed in the interest, as the ambassador said, of the middle class and making sure that they see the benefits of uh, whatever structure comes out. If I can make a few observations. First of all, I'd, I'd use a harsher term for the populist uh, wing of the Republican Party. I don't want to get I know what house I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, with that having been said, um, to address a few things. First of all, I think it's very clear uh, that this should be a major legacy item for the president. And part of the frustration on our part um, is that he has not put more direct capital into building democratic support. And I understand the, the dynamics of the election and so forth, but we think that he could be doing a lot more quietly to shore up democratic support and giving us some, giving some indication uh, where that support will be because we're going to have to build the support on our side. And there are some uh, right, on the right side of our party, uh, clearly some opposition. That, that support is something we will have to do. The president can't do that. In fact, it would be detrimental if he tried. So for people like myself and others who are really pushing this, we have to do that. Keep in mind, uh, most of our members on the Republican side of the aisle have never voted for a trade agreement or TPA. And so we have a huge educational uh, effort that we have to put forth. We have to put it in terms of jobs. And there's a lot of data out there to, to indicate that uh, even including a Nobel Prize economist who, who basically shown that trade and export related jobs pay 18 to 20 percent higher than non-trade related jobs. And our opportunity for growth is to expand exports to get away from this consumption driven economy as the ambassador pointed out. We have to make that case. We have to make it at, at, the, you know, at the diner level as you, as you laid out, John. Um, those are all going to be incredibly important opportunities for us. Now, as a final point I would make is the timing, TTIP or, T, or TPP, which one goes first. My, my view of that is we have those negotiations going on in parallel, and they're going on as quickly as possible, and whichever one's ready, that's the one that, that will be done first. The key is to get the highest level agreement. I think we're further along with TPP, but, you know, 
whatever happens, happens. The Europeans, we've got a whole new set of issues with Europeans on this that have slowed it down. But I would push on both fronts with the objective being to get the strongest possible deal. And I really do think getting Trade Promotion Authority in place with as much bipartisan support as we possibly can puts that full force of the American government behind this. And it makes it very clear to our negotiating part partners, both across the Atlantic and, and in the Asia Pacific region, that we mean business and we're serious about getting these agreements done. Well, let's close by asking the, the lame duck uh, question. And, you know, I've got a closet at home, and every time my wife has some additional stuff, she says, put it in the closet. You know, you can only put so much in that closet. Uh, and so here we have lame duck coming up. I think it's going to be probably shorter than, than longer. Um, so give us your prediction, uh, uh, both of you, uh, on the possibility of getting fast-tracked in the lame duck. And, and the consequences of not. Well, I think, I think it's going to be very difficult to get fast track or TPA done in Lame Duck. Not enough groundwork has been done. Um, I mean, I think sure, you'll have to come in on the Democratic side. I think there's a lot more that needs to be done there. On the Republican side, I think we, we can get the votes, but we want this to be bipartisan. And so I think all efforts should be made now in preparation to see how far we can go. With, and hopefully, we can get it done early next year. I think failing that, we get start to get into the presidential cycle and presidential politics, other events could uh, cause further delay. I think it's essential to put um, tremendous effort into trying to get this done as soon as possible. I, I agree with Charlie. I don't think uh, this is going to get done in the lame duck, but I think the lame duck is going to be critical on several fronts. And if nothing gets done in the lame duck, meaning nothing is taken off the table, then we just kick the can uh, into the next election. Uh, and this is more of a problem, certainly is a problem for the president, but I think it's more of a problem for the Republican Party long term. And I think that of all the same issues that we're looking at today, are still with us in January, and there's been no progress, and there is still the vast uncertainty about what has to get done. And you know them all as well as I do, the infrastructure, uh, immigration issues, uh, and certainly trade issues, et cetera. If they all get kicked into the next year with a continuing resolution, and you have a new Congress that will be, uh, by anyone's guess, uh, still uh, more right uh, in the Republican Party, and uh, depending upon outcomes in the primary, you know everybody makes projections how they're going to win. It's it, most pundits, I think, see there's going to be very little change in the Congress. The Democrats may barely hold on to the Senate. Uh, we could pick up some seats in the House, or uh, but it looks like the Republicans would hold on to the to the House. So, from a practical standpoint, in terms of what's going to happen next year, if something doesn't give way with the reasonable minds that are exiting this place, 
uh, in the uh, who say, I'm not up for re-election. Uh, we've got to help our speaker end this process out and do the right thing. That is the hope. That is the hope of uh, this uh, uh, lame duck session that's coming up. And within that, I think even if there are small victories, that is going to go a long way towards helping the following years. If there is no progress, I think that that create, creates a, a, a problem all the way around on several fronts. Mr. Master, would you like the last word and Jim can say amen? <laughs> Look, uh, I'm, I'm surrounded here by experts on the subject of the Congressional timetable. Let me just say this, TPP has not been negotiated in a vacuum. There are plenty of alternatives about what sort of structure ought to underpin the trading arrangements of Asia. RCEP is out there and it will be concluded over the course of the next uh, 12 to 18 months. And the Chinese have now got another proposition out for APEC for a free trade agreement through the region. That will, if TPP goes down, it's a Chinese proposal which will dominate and RCEP will be achieved. So the United States really basically has to ask itself, does it want to see its, its preference on the rules run through the region or do they want to see somebody else's preference? There will be rules. There will be a, a pattern of arrangements one way or the other and it's either going to be a pattern that's acceptable to the US or not, but it'll go ahead. <coughs>